like to join me in your Bibles will be in the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 17. I uh, passed out, before the service, I passed out some informational cards. You may uh, have shown up a little bit late and didn't receive one. Before you leave, if you would, on the the, uh, stand inside the sanctuary there, there's some informational cards. We'd like to just update the church directory with uh, your email address and your information because we want you to be getting information about what's going on at the church. In the next a few weeks, we'll probably be changing our time services, our time of our services back to 9.30, but we're, we're kind of watching the weather and um, seeing how things are going to progress in that way. But we want to be able to, to contact you um, on a whim if we need to. If the weather doesn't cooperate, we might have to change things up. So the only way that we can do that is if we have your um, updated information. So if you would take one of those cards and fill it out and just put it in one of the offering boxes, which there are two in the sanctuary and one out here in the foyer, then we will make sure that you have the information that you need to uh, know what's going on at the church at any given time. Uh, So uh, that's the only announcement that I have, Uh, Acts chapter number 17. This morning, I'd like to continue our study on the the study on I don't think it means what you think it means, and what what we're ultimately doing is just trying to unpack some terms, some spiritual terms, and give them some deeper meaning to, to maybe even just readdress the the transition or the change in the meanings that the world has done and then recapture what does the Bible say about this, this term. And, and in doing so, as we read God's Word, we're able to then embrace some doctrines, uh, biblical doctrines that really need to be uh, refocused on. Uh, I mentioned this the first week that we started this series I, I, this, this series sparked my mind, or the thought of doing this series sparked my mind when I was told about a chaplain who was doing a chapel service, and he told the students in the chapel service, he said, if, anybody, if anyone ever tells you that you're not worthy of mercy, do not listen to them. And it just sparked in my mind that there are probably a lot of words in the Bible that are I mean, that, that statement goes against the very meaning of the word mercy. Mercy, at its core, is to be undeserved. And to teach people that it's something that you should think you deserve is to really be in opposition to the biblical definition of mercy. And I just began to think and, and meditate on the fact that there's probably a lot of words that we look at and we see them in God's Word and we see them how they're... Uh, presented in our culture, and they are, they're not, they don't mean the same thing anymore. And we understand this living in the 21st century. If you, if you watch any news for any certain amount of time, you know that there is even right now a specific pressing towards changing the meaning of words. 
or redefining certain things by changing the definition of a word. And that's very dangerous because then all of the things that are associated with that word get changed as well. And there's nothing obviously more significant in this way than when we change the meaning of a word and it changes the meaning of God's word. It changes the meaning of those things that are eternal. So this morning I want to talk to you about what it means to be spiritual. And we think about the idea of spirituality in, um, in the word spiritual, spirituality, uh, spiritism, all of these things kind of can, can be interchangeable in many ways. And, and what does the Bible say about what, it, what does it mean to be spiritual? It's interesting that while we've been going through a pandemic, you guys in 2020, we all know that we went through the coronavirus pandemic and it's still active um, in our world today. It's still being dealt with. At the same time that we were going through that pandemic, we were also going through a pandemic that, uh, of spirituality. Uh, people beginning to embrace the things that are spiritual and, and, and eternal and, and, um, and in many ways destructive. You know, the pandemic of spirituality. Statistics show that in the last 10 years, um, Americans, 10% more of Americans would consider themselves to be spiritual people, while at the same time, 10% less of those same people consider themselves to be religious. So while we have an increase in spirituality, we are decreasing in... We're not working... Is this better? Can you guys hear, hear me back there? Okay. All right. I got this too if I need it. For nothing else, it will hold my pages in place. So the last 10 years, we've seen an increase, 10% increase in America with spirituality. At the same time, we've seen a 10% decrease in people who would call themselves religious or call themselves church-going people. In other words, what's happening is, is people are slowly disconnecting the idea of being spiritual from any, anything that is objective. It's something that is completely subjective. It's something that is completely a, about a feeling that they're experiencing on the inside of them. It's, it's very personal. It's very subjective. And, and in many ways, it, it is a hindrance. The, the idea of something being objective is a hindrance to this new meaning of spirituality. And this passage of Scripture deals with that as the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey. And he is journeying, in, he's, he's in Athens at this point in time in verse 16. And he's going, to, he's going to address a group of people who have found themselves to be what he calls very spiritual. Very spiritual people, but yet, but yet lost in their spirituality. Lost in, 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 the, in the pluralistic mindset of, 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 of spirituality. Each person kind of having their own special experience spiritually. And basing it on an in, individual and not something that is objective and something that is consistent with every single individual that experiences it. And the Word of God teaches, and the Apostle Paul teaches in this passage of Scripture, he corrects this mindset of, of spirituality that is not, is not consistent in the Word of God. 
And I want to do my best this morning to correct that system as well and to point us, as the Apostle Paul does, to what is, what, what is biblical spirituality. If somebody says that they're a spiritual person, what does that mean? Does it mean that they had a feeling on the inside, that they had some kind of an experience? Or is there something that's objective to it? Is there something that is meaningful, that is deeper, that is consistent? I believe that the question will be answered with a yes. So many people today consider themselves to be spiritual. Matter of fact, some of our uh, well-known entertainers, some people that are uh, respected in the philosophical realm, here's some quotes that they give about spirituality. Spiritual, spirituality for me is recognizing that I am connected to an energy, to the energy of all creation, that I am part of it and that it is always a part of me. And you'll notice in this statement that spirituality for this person might be different for spirituality for everybody else. It's a unique experience, an individual experience for that person, and it's connecting to something that is pluralistic. It's not connecting to someone, it's connecting to a force or an energy that can be, that can be defined or described in any way. And that's why we have in our culture today this move towards the uh, terminology, a higher power. There's a higher power out there, and, and everybody says, well, that's just fine, that's just your way of describing God versus your way of describing God. No, God is God. Is God. And yes, he is a higher power, but he's con he is consistent for everybody. The next uh, quote that we have here is, The only temple that matters is found within yourself. The only temple that matters is found within yourself. In other words, that, spiritual, that spirituality that they're speaking of is something that is internal to you. It's not, it's not alien but it, it, it is personal to you. It's something about you. It's something within you. And, and I'll explain that later because there is something about spirituality that is within you, but it's not about you. It's not, it's not, it's not connected to you in the sense that, that you're the one creating it. It's alien to you, but it is in you. And the scriptures will clarify that as we go through them. The third quote is, spirituality is following, is following one's spirit. When we lay down the conditions of the mind, okay, that's a very dangerous thing to do right there, isn't it? And in other words, you put aside any type of intellect or, or thinking. The Bible talks over and over again about understanding. To have this spirituality, you have to put aside any form of thinking, Okay, that's, that's a pretty dangerous place to be when we start putting aside thinking in order to experience something. And, and yet, in the, in the same sense, people today, they want that. They want to be able to put aside thinking because thinking, um, in many ways, is, is negative today. Well, let's not think so that we can feel. And that's what this person defines as spirituality. He says, um, we lay down the conditions of the mind and follow the Spirit. We discover our correct path, our true gifts, and a real and deep connection with the God. Get this, a real and deep connection with the God of our own understanding. Or in other words, we, a spiritual experience is when you have an, have an experience with the God of your own making. 
with the God of your own imagination. Uh, it's been said that uh, a human being's mind is an idol factory, and this is the definition of an idol. An idol is manufacturing a God after your own liking. It is making in your own mind, in your own imagination, directly associated with and connected with your own needs and your own desires and your own wants and your own situation and your own circumstances. It's formulating and making a God that fits into your system. And this is a God after our own, our own making. This is an idol, if you will. Spirituality from the world's perspective is subjective, it's individualistic, it's ambiguous at best. It's not connected to anything religious or objective, and it is the, the pursuit of the inner self that results in the feeling of purpose, the feeling of satisfaction, and the feeling of fulfillment. In, in other words, your spiritual walk is all about you. It's what can I get out of this? It can be defined as a higher power that has been formed by your own imagination and is meant to bring satisfaction and gratification in your life. Seemingly, the 21st century that we're living in today with all of these problems is similar to that of the 1st century in Athens when their spirituality was very, this, very much the same. Read with me as we'll unfold this text here for the next few minutes, and we'll see uh, three basic things, three basic truths, I think, that are going to be helpful for us to understand this. The Bible says in verse 16, now while, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. Now, if you, t if you take notes in your Bible, just Circle the word spirit there, and this is, this is written in the singular form. This is referring to Paul had a spirit inside of him that was provoked. Something that was separate from him and distinct from him that was provoked inside of him. This is very similar to what the Lord says in Ephesians 4, where it talks about the spirit of God uh, is quenched. In other passages, it talks about the Spirit of God being, being um, the idea of being quenched. The Spirit of God was quenched. There was something inside of the Apostle Paul that was singular in nature, that, was, that, that had it, it, it in, this, this idolatry impacted that inside of Paul. In verse 17, the Bible says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplaces every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign dignities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him. You'll notice... Here, that the accusation against the Apostle Paul is somewhat discombobulated. They say that he's a preacher of foreign dignities, plural, but then they mention only a foreign dignity, singular. They don't know what they're talking about here in this context. They're just trying to accuse Paul of something because they are upset that the Apostle Paul is preaching the singularity of Christ. 
It is Christ and Christ alone for the Apostle Paul. And these, uh, these philosophers, and I'm glad that it uses that word here because we get it. We get what a philosopher is. And, and I would suggest to you that many of our problems today are built around philosophical philosophies and not biblical truth. He said, um, and, he, and they took him and they brought him to the Arab, Areopagus, which is basically the council at Athens, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So you can kind of get an idea that these people were just wanting to hear new things. They were kind of interested in new philosophies, new um, spiritual things, and they were, they were just interested in the new. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us there is nothing new, right, under the sun. There is nothing new, so seeking after the new can be problematic. Verse 22, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Arapachus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very spiritual. Okay? Some versions say religious. Other versions say superstitious. But what the Apostle Paul here is saying to them is that in, in every way, uh, in, in many ways, you are full of superstition. You are full of spirituality. It's interesting that this word is a compound Greek word that literally means to be afraid, to be fearful of that which is spiritual. It's almost like they, the Apostle Paul recognizes in them that they have a certain respect for things that are spiritual. I mean, they haven't just disregarded all the things that are spiritual. There, there's something that, that stirs them to, to having a, a reverence for things that are spiritual. And he says, in, in all things. In other words, these people are, are always, in every way, seeking to understand the spiritual connections with things. People are like, well, this is the, the golf god. Or the, I heard that the other week. The, the golf gods have shined down on us today kindly. Or the golf gods have not shined down on us kindly. Or the weather gods, they haven't shined down on us kindly today. But, but the last several weeks, the weather gods have shined down upon us. And they, and they are seeking to find some pluralistic mindset of this spiritual thing in all of the things that are going on around, around them. And that's what these people were doing. And the Apostle Paul recognizes that. And he says, I, I get that you're a very spiritual people. I get that. And he says in, in verse number 23, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, notice again the plural used here, objects. And they had many idols. I, have also, uh, I, have, I found also an altar with an inscription to the unknown God. So in, in other words, and the Apostle Paul is going to unfold that this unknown God that they are uh, including in their, in their spiritual program, is the true God. He's going to explain that to them. He's going to teach them. So, so again, it's, not, it's important that you get this. It's not that they don't uh, uh, fear the spiritual things. It's not even that Christ is not a, a part of their spiritual uh, journey. 
that, that God is not even, uh, maybe he's a part of their spiritual journey, but, but these people are superstitious, superstitious and spiritualistic in a pluralistic way and in, in an individualistic way as well. And the Apostle Paul is going to correct that. He says, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of, of mankind to live in all of the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. That they, may, that they should seek God and perhaps dwell, feel their way toward Him and find Him, yet He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of you, own, your own poets, have said, for we are indeed His offspring. And I'll just stop there for a moment. What, what you notice is happening here is he's, he's drawing a contrast between the, those who are trying to find their purpose and their life and their goals and their directions and their fulfillment and their satisfaction in the, in the spiritual, pluralistic spiritual realm. God's for everything, if you will. He's, he's pointing out to them that there is one central individual that is meant to be the one through which you have your life, through which you have your meaning, through which you have your movement, through which you have your strength. There is one through which you have all of these things. So he's diverting their attention away from the error of a pluralistic, individualistic, spiritual life into a relationship that comes through Christ and involves the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one through which we have our, through which we have our, our strength and our being and our life. Everything comes through the Holy Spirit of God. He is the giver of life. He is the source of life. And so the Apostle Paul is pointing them away from this, this uh, modern-day view of spirituality and pointing them into this very specific individual um, view of the Holy Spirit who dwells within them. He goes on to say in verse 29, "...being then God's offsprings, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, as image formed by art and imagination of men." The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed the day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. And after raising Christ from the dead, He sent His Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius and Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. 
So what the Apostle Paul does is, again, here, he unfolds this idea. He, he, he comes against these Athenians for their spirituality, and he points them into a spiritual walk that is not built around them, but is built around him. And I want to give you some things, three things this morning that um, from the text I think that might help us in regards to what we see as spirituality in our world today, and is it, and, and, and what is the biblical definition of it? So first of all, let's look at the biblical meaning of spirituality. Webster's Dictionary defines it this way, and, and Webster's Dictionary, this is the old definition of it, and I think it's an accurate one that would give us a, a good understanding of what it means. It says, something that is ecclesiastical in law, belonging to the church or to the cleric as such, it is a sensitivity or an attachment to religious values. So there's not an ambiguity here with even Webster's Dictionary definition of spirituality. It's a specific thing. It's related to the church. It's related to um, values, Christian values, religious values, and it's related to ecclesiastical law. In other words, it's not ambiguous and it's not individualistic. You can't just take your own perspective of spirituality and pursue it. Spirituality actually means something. It has some objectivity to it. Spirituality, according to the Bible and according to our text, is not, is not individualistic, it's not ambiguous, and it's not pluralistic. Spirituality is objective, and its objectivity is related specifically to the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. When a person, def when a person defines themselves as spiritual, when you think of that from a religious standpoint, from a Christian perspective, you are saying that that person is submitted to the Spirit of God who lives within them. This is why it is alien to us, because it is not our spirit that is functioning. It is His Spirit living inside of us. It is, it is God in the, in the spirit realm living inside of each individual person who is a believer. So spirituality is objective, and it specifically re relates to the Spirit of God. So when we look at defining what is the Spirit of God doing in our life, or if someone says, I'm spiritual, when we look to define that, we ought to be able to define that based upon certain actions that the Spirit of God performs. Certain things that He does. If my, if my spirituality is built around the Spirit of God living within me, alien to myself, different from me, if it's built around that, then it ought to be definable by the Scriptures. I should be able to look into the Scriptures and find when does the Spirit of God do these things. Spirituality is the antithesis of finding self. It is not finding yourself. Being spiritual is finding the Lord. It is finding the Lord in your life. It is finding His presence. It's understanding His power and, and tapping into it. It is, it is walking in His strength. That is what it means to be spiritual. It's not about finding yourself. It's not about, it's not about tapping into some deeper level of yourself. Being spiritual is about denying yourself and walking in the power and strength of another. 
It's recognizing that Christ lives in you, and when he lives in you, you have access to a, to a being that is separate from you, but that is working for you. And you live in that reality. Spirituality is the antithesis of finding self. A spiritual person is one who is submitted to God's spirit. Scriptures tell us in John 14, 17, that his spirit lives in us. It talks about in Acts 2, about being filled with the Spirit of God. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll find that that means that uh, a person is totally surrendered under the, under the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit. But listen, it does not mean that, that it becomes. The danger is, is once you, once you go to that realm of being totally filled with the Spirit, quote unquote, the, the, the modern religious realms takes it again to a more individualistic, and, and, and non-definable realm. It still has to be associated with God's word. It still has to be objective in nature. If God's spirit doesn't perform it, then don't say it's spiritual. It, pure, it very purely can just be carnal. It very purely can, can very easily can just be the outworkings of your emotions. You have to be able to define it by the word of God. Everything that we claim God does, His Son, His Spirit, or Himself, ought to be definable by the Word of God. We ought to be able to go to Scriptures and say, yeah, that's where I see it happening. I, I see it happening in my, in my personal life. I see it going on in me, but I can see it in Scripture too, so I know it is the Spirit of God. 1 John tells us this, to try the spirits, test the spirits. Because you don't want to, you, you you need to know that there are false spirits out there that are that are that are manipulate, manipulating and mimicking things and trying to, to present themselves as the true spirit, but they're not. To be led by the spirit is to be filled with the spirit. To be to to um, to be spiritual is to be filled with the spirit. Is to be controlled by the spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing your steps. According to Romans 8.14, it's to be led by the Spirit. Matter of fact, Romans 8.14 says this, those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. It defines somebody who is a child of God as being a spiritual person. When, really, one of the prerequisites of being spiritual is you have to be a Christian person. You have to have the Spirit of God living within, within you. This is why... In so many ways, people want to disconnect objectivity from spirituality. You know, the world, even the world doesn't want to be superficial, right? Even the world wants to seem to have some depth to them. So they say that I'm spiritual because in their mind that means that they have depth to them. What they don't understand is that's not what spiritual means. Spiritual doesn't mean that you have depth in yourself. Spiritual means that you live in light of, of something that is beyond yourself, you have something that is bigger than yourself. You have a purpose that it, it, it exceeds that of the human and goes into the eternal realm. That's what it means to be spiritual. It's not about the, the flesh. It's about the Spirit of God living within you. This is what awakens us. Listen, before the Spirit of God comes to live within us, the Bible says that we all walk in darkness. There is no life within us. There is no spirit within us. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. There is nothing about us that is spiritual. That's what it needed to do right there. 
There is, there is nothing about us prior to being indwelt by the Spirit of God that is spiritual according to God's Word. And, and we need to be careful not try to, to try to manufacture spirituality without having the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God has to be in you, working through you, His will and His works for His glory. It's submitted to the Spirit of God. Galatians 2 and verse 20, I think, defines it well. The Apostle Paul says, For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, which means that the Apostle Paul considered himself to be what? He considered himself to be dead. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it is Christ living in me or living through me. The Apostle Paul understood that being spiritual was not about him living his life. It was about him submitting to someone else who would then use Paul's life to live his life. And that is, the, that is, that is God. God did that. We know that a spiritual person is one who is indwelt by God's Spirit. We know that being a spiritual person is one who is controlled by God's Spirit, one who is being led by God's Spirit, who is being submitted to God's Spirit. And that brings us to our second point. What are biblical marks of spirituality? I want to give you about seven or eight, and we're going to work through them fairly quickly. So if you're taking notes, just, just follow along. What are some biblical marks of somebody who is a spiritual person? And again, where do we go to find out what those marks are? Well, we just look to Scripture. What does the Spirit do? Right? If it's about the Spirit in me, then I just need to find out what He does, and then I'll be able to tell if those things are spiritual or not. Right? People, people get, get crazy in our world, and they, they do a lot of crazy things, and they say that it's, it's the spiritual thing that's causing them to do it. Listen, be careful with that. Because if you can't find the Spirit of God doing it that, then you have to realize that it may not be the Spirit of God. It may be the flesh of man. We, we, we must be careful. We can look to the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is pretty much, it is, if you, in your Bible, it probably says the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's a lot in there that the Holy Spirit of God does. There's a lot in there that the Holy Spirit of God doesn't do. So it's not individualistic. It is something that the Spirit of God is working, and you don't have a different spirit than your neighbor does. If you're a believer, you all have the same spirit working in you and working through you. So let me give you these things. Number one, a spiritual person is a convicted person. The Bible says in John 16 and verse number 8 that when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin righteousness and coming judgment. Conviction is a sign of a spiritual person. Somebody who recognizes their sin, somebody who identifies with their sin, who accepts the fact that they are sinful and confesses that sin before God, that is a spiritual-minded person. As a matter of fact, the book uh, 1 John says in verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you know what's interesting? Sandwiched around that verse is two other verses that say this. If you say that you have no sin, you are a liar. And the truth is not in you. 
So if you're spiritually minded, you're going to be sensitive to your sins. You're going to be sensitive to your sinfulness. In the same way, in this passage of Scripture, where the Apostle Paul sees this adultery going on in Athens, what happens to the Spirit of God within him? He's not happy, is he? The Bible says that he... he, he, he um, uh, the word that he uses here, you can go back to it. It says that his spirit inside of him was provoked. His spirit is not happy with the sinfulness of the city. How much less do you think the spirit of God is happy with the sins of ourselves? Uh, somebody who is spiritually minded is somebody who is going to be sensitive to their sins. Their eyes are going to be open about the extent of their sins. And when your eyes are open about the extent of your sins, your eyes are also opened about the extent of God's grace. Remember this. Romans 5 says it this way, where sin did abound. In other words, where sin was made much of. It doesn't mean go out and sin a whole bunch. It means when you make much of your sins... He says, what about grace? Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. In other words, where, where sin is made much of, where failure is made much of, where our depravity is made much of, we're not focused on how good a people we are, but we're focused on how unworthy a people we are. When we come to that, we're spiritual, and the result of that is grace. It is unmerited favor from God. A spiritual person is one who is convicted. They feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit when they sin. They feel the provoking. They feel the um, quenching. They feel that inside of them. The Spirit of God is connected to them and they feel that. That's number one. Number two, spiritual people are living people. And when I say living people, I mean that they're alive beyond that which is physical. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 and verse number 1 that when we get saved, we are dwelt by the Spirit of God and we are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we have been made alive. In other words, when a person becomes indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, they're no longer dead spiritually because Christ's Spirit has come to live within them. They are now alive spiritually. This is not reference to their physical being, but to their spiritual being. They were dead and God made them alive. He says in verse number 5 of that same chapter that they were dead and God, by His grace, made them alive. A spiritual person is a living person. And when you think about life, it's like, well, okay, if it's not physical life, then what is it? This is purposeful life. This is meaningful life. This is eternal life. A Christian, somebody who is a spiritual person and dwelt by the Spirit of, of God, is a purposeful person. They're a passionate person. They're a fulfilled person. They're a satisfied person. All of these things can be said about somebody because they're no longer dead, but now they're alive. That's what a spiritual person is. That's what a spiritual person is. John 10 and verse number 10, the Bible says that Christ the, says, The thief cometh not but forth to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come, Christ, that they might, that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. The word means fulfilled. It means satisfied. It means complete. 
Our satisfaction doesn't come from some internal um, nebulous feeling of spirituality. It comes from an objective indwelling of the Spirit of God. That you can connect to somebody, not just to some thought in your mind or some creation in your thought, in your imagination. Sometimes we do that. I don't know if you're like me, but man, things start getting bad in my life, and so I go to my imagination to create ways to make myself feel better. You ever do that? That's what the Apostle Paul is, is, is opposing here. It's not about you making yourself feel better by, by manufacturing something in your mind. It's about you recognizing that something lives in you or somebody lives in you that's bigger than your problems. What does 1 John tell us? Greater is he that is in you. It doesn't say greater is being spiritual in you. It says greater is he, the Spirit of God, that is in you than he that is in the world. It is not figuring out ways to fix our problems in our imagination. It's about figuring out that we're connected to the problem fixer. He lives inside of us. And now we're no longer dead or bound or slaves to our sins. We've been set free because of why? Because we're spiritual or because we have the Spirit of God living inside of us? I guarantee you, folks, the people who live with this, with this world's view of spirituality feel spiritual today, and they don't feel spiritual tomorrow. Right? Because it's built on them. People who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, it never changes. Because it's not built on them, it's built upon Him. John 3 and verse 8, speaking of the Spirit giving life, the Bible says the wind blows where it wants to. The wind here is the Greek word pneuma. It means spirit. The Spirit blows where it wants to. You hear the sound of it. You, know, you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who has been born of the Spirit. Spiritual people are living people, purposeful people, fulfilled people, satisfied people, not because of something that they have manufactured, but because of someone who lives inside of them. Amen? It's about Him, not about us. Next of all, in this point, spiritual people are understanding people. If we go back to John 14 and John 15 and 16, we see that the Spirit of God comes into this world for the purpose of giving understanding. It says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom their father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring into remembrance all that I have said to you. A spiritual person is somebody who understands God's word below the surface. It's not just a casual reading of God's word. A spiritual person seeks to know what God's word means. A good illustration of this is all throughout God's word. It says, if you have eyes that can see and ears that can hear, it's like, well, who doesn't have eyes that can see and ears that can hear? Well, what he's saying is, is many people don't have eyes that see and ears that hear, spiritually. But those who have been indwelt by the Spirit of God have an internal teacher who guides them into all things that are spiritual, and he teaches them those things. He walks with them. The, the greatest discipler that you have this morning is the Holy Spirit of God. He's your greatest disciple. He's your greatest teacher. I tell people, people come to me and they say, Pastor John, I, I read my Bible, I just don't get anything out of it. I said, you need to connect to the Spirit of God. One of the things may be that that person is not a believer. 
The Spirit of God doesn't indwell them, and therefore they don't understand it, and they need to make that connection first. The, Spirit of, the Word of God will be, is, confuse, is confusing to those who don't have the Spirit of God, but it could also be when we're, when we're not connecting to the Spirit of God in a submissive way. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. Now the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, of revelation, of the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts opened or enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, which is the riches of the, his glory, its glorious inheritance in the saints." A spiritual person is an understanding person. They have eyes to see that which the natural man cannot see. Matthew 13 tells us that same thing. Spiritual people are pleasant people. This is a good one for us today, right? Spiritual people are pleasant people. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 says it this way. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, he's making a connection between the idea of the things that an intoxication can create within you to the Spirit of God creating those things within you. We no longer need the intoxicating things when we have the Spirit of God. He brings those things into our life, right? He is the one who brings satisfaction. When you're feeling down and discouraged and you maybe the weights of this world are on your shoulders and you're stressed out, for the natural man, they go to the to the bottle. They go to some form of intoxicating ways of either clearing their mind or uh, covering what's there or whatever might be the case. They go to some substance. And I'm going to say this, it's not just talking about alcohol, but it can be sex, it can be drugs, it can be eating, it can be a number of different things. They turn to something to satisfy them other than the Spirit of God. And he says, do not do that but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord with um, giving thanks always and everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Spirit of God brings us into this peaceful, placid state where we are pleasant people. We're not worried. We're not concerned. We're not defensive. We're not fighting. We're not doing all of those things. What are we doing? Well, we're singing melodies in our hearts. That means singing to yourself in case you need me to define that, right? It's singing to yourself because you're so enamored with the indwelling Holy Spirit. You're so empowered by Him that you are singing to yourself. It's giving thanks in every situation. It's being submissive to those in authority over you because the Spirit of God lives within you. He makes us peaceful and restful people. He makes us pleasant in conversation. He makes us thankful. He makes us submissive. The next thought in this one is spiritual people are not fleshly people. The Bible says this, but I say... Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. So if I say I'm a spiritual person, then I'm not going to be one who is walking in my flesh. I'm not going to be seeking to satisfy or gratify the desires of my flesh. Immorality is not going to be a, a part of my focus in life. Being, being accepted and being liked and being significant and having much money and all of these things is not going to be the guide of my life because those things don't matter if I'm a what type of person? I'm a spiritual person. If you're a spiritual person, the Bible says you will not seek to gratify the desires of your flesh. 
This is, what, this is the objectiveness of spirituality. You can't just say I'm spiritual without having some objective truth to guide it. Spiritual people are not fleshly people. And then lastly, spiritual people accomplish spiritual things. The Bible says in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with all of its passions and desires. Those, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He says, and if, you live by the, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Spiritual people produce spiritual fruits. And I will say this to you, it's not you producing the fruits. It's the Spirit of God producing the fruits in you. He's producing those fruits through you. You say, Pastor John, I can't be loving in this situation. I can't be kind in this situation. I, I can't be gentle in this situation. I can't overcome this worry. I can't overcome this temptation, Pastor John. I can't overcome this. Yeah, that's great, but God's Spirit lives inside of you. He can. Right? It's not built around you. It's built around Him. And, and therefore, the idea of I can't, I remember when I was like 16 years old, I took karate or, or martial arts. And, and I remember you did not say you can't. If you said I can't in martial arts, you did do push-ups for a while to get it out of your vocabulary. They didn't want you to think that you couldn't. Listen to me. Karate doesn't mean you can't, but the Spirit of God means you can. You, there's nothing that you can't do in the Spirit of God, especially, or, or really, if it's connected to His personality and to what He is doing. What is He working out? Spiritual people produce spiritual fruits. So you look for those. It's like the guy who walks around, and he's, he's mean and harsh and always, always abusing people and, and speaking ill of people, and, and you ask him in a spiritual, hey, are you a spiritual person? I'm a spiritual person. No, you're not. Why? How do you know that? Because I have objective truth. I know what spirituality is. It's, it's not that. Somebody walking around filling their life with their fleshly desires and they go to church on Sunday like, hey, I'm a spiritual person. No, you're not. I'm sorry to blow or bust your bubble. You're not a spiritual person if you're walking in your flesh. It's, that's objective truth. That's what the Bible teaches. Listen, folks, we've got to get out of this idea of what we manufacture in our own mind that is, that is either in addition to or subtraction of what the Word of God says. We live in a culture today that has no idea of objective truth, and we've got to get back to it. We're destroying Christianity today at, at, at its very core because we're letting things be changed in their very meanings. What is the Spirit of God working? And if He's working these things, then yeah, I, I admit, be spiritual, but, but be spiritual. Don't just claim it with your mouth. The last thought this morning is, what are the biblical means of spirituality? Maybe you're there, like the Apostle Paul was here in Athens. Maybe you're in your own Athens, and you're the, you're the one that he, you're talking to yourself here. Okay, you're going to teach yourself. Let me give you a few thoughts to help you. Number one is... As the Apostle Paul does, use objective truth. What does the Apostle Paul do to overcome or to combat this? He just talks about all that, that God is in his objective nature. 
He talks about all that Jesus is and his objective nature. He talks about all of these things that are objective. They're, they're, not, they're not floating around in this mysterious world. What the Apostle Paul does is he picks some things that are, that are rooted in concrete. And he talks about them like God is our creator and, and in him we have our, our life and our being and everything about us that, that is living is because of him. I mean, he goes to these things that are objective. He even says in this text that he reasons with them. In other words, he, he debates with them using logical, biblical reasons. The Bible says in, in the first part of this chapter that he reasoned with them. In verse number 2, he reasoned with them according to the Scriptures. What does the Apostle Paul do when he's out in this float-around spiritual world? And he's got all these people calling themselves spiritual, but they're really not. What does the Apostle Paul do? He roots it in something that is objective. Let me tell, tell you something. The spiritual, truly spiritual people are rooted people. They're grounded people. And they're grounded in two things, okay? You will not find the Spirit of God talking about himself in this text at all. Do you know what you will find? You will find him talking about the Father and the Son. Why is that? Because that's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God is not concerned about the Spirit of God. He's concerned about the Father and the Son. Some of us today, we're so concerned about the Spirit of God. You need to know this. You exalt Christ and the Spirit of God will rise up inside of you and be very excited. You exalt the Father and the Spirit of God will become active inside of you because that's what the Spirit of God does. And Jesus is the same way. Jesus doesn't do things for himself. He did things for the Father. It's a very humble uh, trinity, a very humble trinity. Objective truth, number one. Number two, a repentant heart. The Apostle Paul tells him at the end of this text, he says, he says that God, after all of this stuff, he said that their arts and imaginations that create all these things. He said that God overlooked their ignorance for a season. And listen to me, God is overlooking this, the ignorance right now for a season, but the ignorance is growing pretty, pretty strong, isn't it? Here's what he says for them to do. Repent ye, therefore. There's a coming a place and a time where God's going to be done with the ignorance of men, the floating around, the, the, the subjective religiosity, the subjective spirituality, the subjective Christianity that's not rooted in anything. God is going to at some point be done with being patient with that. And he says here, my command is that you repent. My command is that you repent. So a repentant heart is number two. The second solution is to be repentant. This is a time of blindness. It's a time where people have rejected the God of the Bible and have embraced all kinds of gods of their own imagination. What is the solution? The solution is to repent, meaning to, to deny that your way is the right way. It is to deny yourself and accept that God's way is the right way. That's what repentance means. The last thing that he says, or, or two other things in, in quickly, humble faith. At the end, he says many of them followed. They followed humbly. They accepted that what was said about the Father, what was said about the Son was true. And what was said about the Father and what was said about the Son made them into spirit. Believing that and embracing that made them into spiritual people. Remember, it's not about believing in the Spirit that makes you a spiritual person. It's about believing in the Son that makes the Spirit come to live within you that makes you a spiritual person. It's about believing in His death, 
burial, and resurrection for your sins. And then lastly, and it's not found here in our text, but I felt like it was important to, this, to understanding this, it is a submissive prayer. The Bible says in Luke 11, verse 9 through 13, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And then it says this, What father among you, if, he, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask Him? The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 13, For anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And directly connected to that salvation is the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, which makes an individual a spiritual person. This morning as we close, my challenge to you, my challenge to us as a church is not that we be connected to this spirituality that is ambiguous, that is built around some kind of a, of a individuality that's not objective in any way, that is built around your own personal imagination or the creation of your mind, but that all of us as a church, see, that, that's what makes us divided but that all of us as a church embrace the fact that spirituality is built around the fact that there is a person who is called the Holy Spirit of God who comes to live within us and accomplishes through us the things that he wishes to accomplish through us. You know what that's called? It's called spirituality. If you're not there this morning, you say, Pastor John, I'm not there. I'm just going to admit it. I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm not a spiritual. According to the Bible's definition, I'm not a spiritual person. So what do you do? You manufacture it? You, you create it? No, that's the opposite of what you do. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling them. What do you do? You ask for it. Get on your knees before a holy God. Confess your sins and your unworthiness of God. Confess that you don't deserve anything good from God. And ask in the name of Christ, because Christ died for your sins. He was buried and He rose again the third day. And He has promised to give life to anyone who will confess, repent, and trust Him. If you're that person this morning, that's what I ask of you, is that you would ask God, God, please give me this life that is the indwelling of your Spirit. And let us not be a people that fear spiritual things, but let us be a people, as Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let us be a people who fear God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for, Lord, maybe just redirecting um, us. Maybe we're just being pressed back into the mold that we belonged in for a long time that maybe we've lost. Maybe we're being re, um, rediscovering some things that we need to rediscover. But I pray that you would help each one of us to embrace an objective spirituality, a biblical spirituality, and to pursue it with all of our might. It's not something that we create in our own minds to deliver ourselves from bad feelings, but Lord, something that is true, something that is based upon your word that, yes, it will deliver us from all of these things, eternally deliver us. Please, uh, Lord, help us today. Strengthen us by your spirit. Take us home and help us, Lord, to meditate on these things in Jesus Christ's name.